Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Kato, everyone. Uh, my name is Calvin, and I am a, a pastor and a chaplain with some, I, know, I guess, like a decade of experience now. I can say those things, so that's not too bad. This is Victoria. <laughs> what, I'm supposed to introduce myself. Well, I, well what do you do? What do you do? Uh, I'm a psychotherapist yeah. by day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's my and Batwoman by night. <laughs> um, and by night, I like to play with makeup and clothes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some and people would say that's heroic. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a family as well, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, <laughs> well, guys, we, wanna, um, we just want to welcome you to church this evening and, and, and really wanted to take this as an opportunity to, to uh, explore the, the whole topic of mental health. Um, in, in, in at least some sort of significant capacity, and uh, just want to sort of acknowledge from the outset that that actually this is this is a really complex thing, and even I'm, I'm even really aware that that in the context of this evening, there may even be some people here for whom these kinds of conversations are really hard and and really painful. And so, just from the outset, um, if you feel like it's kind of broaching on too much of an uncomfortable territory, and you need to sort of gently remove yourself and have a cup of tea or go sit in one of the comfy chairs out in there in the foyer, please feel free to do that. Um, uh, just, just am really aware that, that it is quite a sensitive subject and just want to give, um, give you all uh, permission to kind of uh, to, to do whatever it is you need to do uh, in that space. Um, I'd love to just open uh, with, a, with a short prayer and then, um, and then take us forward uh, uh, into, this, into this thing. So, Father, we sit here at the, at the sort of end of, of Mental Health Awareness Week, um, really aware that there are a lot of conversations happening around our nation in different capacities, around the world uh, in different capacities, and really aware that um, as the church, um, we need to be uh, thinking about how it is that we are engaging um, in these conversations and, being, uh, and, and that there is a need for us to be really aware of, of how our voice is heard and what it is that we, that we bring to the table in this mix. Um, Lord, we, we acknowledge that, that mental health is um, something that affects all of us, whether it's uh, something we experience in our day-to-day lives um, or it's something we see in the lives of those we, we know really well uh, and love deeply. Um, we just know that this is something uh, that is really important. And Lord, we just know that you are not indifferent to it, but that your love and your grace and your peace um, is with each and every person, um, and you long to, to journey with everyone um, through the things that are going on in, in their lives. And so we give this time to you. Um, we ask that your presence would be near to each one of us, um, and that you would take us into this subject um, with grace and compassion and kindness. Amen. Um, uh, I wanted to just talk about, uh, just to sort of frame this up, just by telling you a little bit about um, some news that I had recently. Um, about two weeks ago, I woke up on a, uh, would have been, I guess, like a Tuesday morning. So I woke up and I had a message from a friend of mine in this, uh, uh, who's been based in the States. And he said, he said um, hey man, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but, but um, 
our, our friend Jared, this guy that we know, he's, he's taken his life. And, um, uh, and I want to show you, this is, this is a, a picture of Jared here. Um, I met Jared nearly 10 years ago, uh, one of my trips to California. Um, I actually met him at a, at a, at a cafe. Um, just he, he overheard that I was talking about church stuff, and he sort of came up and introduced himself, and he was like, what do you do? And and I was like, oh, I've just started a youth pastor role. And, and, uh, and he was like, no way. Like, I also have just started a youth pastor role. And we ended up chatting for like 20 or 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, he had he'd been involved in the same sort of like music scene that I was in. And he was sort of deeply passionate about God. And, and in the context of that sort of short conversation, he, he also opened up to me about his struggle with, with depression. And, and that he was like, you know, he was like, I just want to, I want to be a beacon of light um, for people and to just tell the story of the hope that is in Jesus. Um, and uh, and I was just really inspired. I, I just I totally loved his sort of infectious enthusiasm. Um, this is a recent photo that was that was up on his Instagram. That's him with his wife Julie uh, and their boys uh, Finch uh, on the left and Denim on the right. Uh, Jared has. Uh, gone on to become uh, a pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, which is like one of the largest churches in Southern California. Um, he was the young adults pastor there. He, he had book deals. He wrote, he wrote several books, uh, devotional books, books uh, about the love of God um, and about following Jesus as a millennial. So he was really passionate about engaging young people. Um, and then one of the other things he did was he started an organization called Anthem of Hope, um, which was for people uh, struggling with mental health. Um, and it was uh, it helped it just helped resource people, give them access to stuff, and uh, it really was an incredible thing. This was the thing he was passionate about, but it was also the thing that he struggled with more than anything else. Um, and so, part of this for me this evening is uh, actually feels like playing my part in kind of honouring the work of Jared. Um, uh, some of you guys would have seen would have seen stuff circulating on social media. It's been pretty widespread about the the sort of pastor who who took his life, but. But really, like the he was someone who I firmly believe like he fought he fought this hard and he was a massive advocate for it, and um and and he challenged the church, um and said this is something that the church needs to be talking about. Um, I'm not convinced that uh, that we've done a particularly good job uh, in the church of navigating the topic of mental health. Um, I think that in the church's earnest desire to be faithful and for Christians to, to sort of pursue faithfulness, um, which I think, I think is really beautiful and really admirable, um, I think in that sort of earnest desire, I think there... Uh, I think we've failed to create a truly safe environment where people can authentically share what is happening um, and kind of know and trust that they'll be pointed in the right direction. It seems that there is some sort of pressure in place to be perfect. Um, and so I think that these kinds of conversations are really important. Um, and I also want to say that the reason why Victoria is with us this evening is because even though I have 10 years experience of being a pastor, I am not an expert in mental health. I have read about it. I've studied it a little bit. Um, but my degrees are in biblical theology and church history. They are not in, in actually the sort of deep inner workings of, of what, what goes on in people's lives. And so it's important that it's not just the pastor's voice being heard, but that we, we get voices like Victoria's in the mix as well. And so just really grateful that you're here doing that with us this evening as well. And so, um, 
So yeah, so with that in mind and with just wanting to honor um, the kind of mission of Jared, it would be great to kind of crack into this. Um, we all come from really, uh, really different backgrounds and really different understandings of what mental health is. And so maybe, maybe Victoria, we could just do that as like a bit of a starting point. Just if, back to ground level, like what is mental health? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that is a big question. Um, but I think it's important to start with, for me, even the name mental health, like I don't actually know why we call it that, because, I mean, I guess it's come from, I mean, I don't know this, I'm guessing that it's come from like a, a medical diagnostic background where we think about anxiety and depression as a medical condition or something, because the idea of it being called mental health suggests that it's up here. Um, but in my experience, it's, that is like, that is this much of this sort of picture. Um, but yeah, so in, in Western culture, mental health comes under the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, where there's um, now labels for different collections of symptoms, and we can put people into those little boxes, considering what symptoms they show, and following from whatever um, collection of symptoms they most likely fall into, we can then look at um, how to manage it. I find that, uh, well, it's Mason Jury who developed a Maori mental health model called Defara Tapafa, which actually looks at a more holistic approach to how we think about mental health, where it's about not just um, our thinking, and because, you know, like our, our thoughts can become very convoluted and spin round and round and round and that can create a lot of um, emotions and, you know, like, there, yes, there is that. But also it is those times where we feel incredibly emotionally overwhelmed in our day-to-day -day life. As Alongside from that, there's um, our relationships with other people. So how we manage those relationships, whether our interpersonal relationships are chaotic and going from highs to lows and you know and then from that point on people can it can lead to self-harm and, and then suicide you know so it's it's all encompassing and so I think that if we just think about mental health as um, brain chemistry gone wrong we're really doing such a disservice to who we are as human beings and what we need and what God wants for us in this life it's not just trying to get our thinking straight. It's about how, how are we processing our emotions, how are our relationships with other people, how is our physical body as well. Um, I recently learned that 70% of serotonin, which is the happy chemical in our brain that medicines treat, is made in our gut. And I was like, what? I've been a psychotherapist for about 10 years now and I've only just been told that 70% of that is created in our gut. And I'm like, how are we not addressing that as well, you know, like why am I not saying to clients, okay, so actually, you know, and not that I'm a nutritionist, but, you know, how, how are you going with what you're eating? Is that helping you as well? Or, you know, like it's, it's, it's so, like this much, mental health is this much of, of this because we're human beings and we're very complex. 
<laughs> so really, um, if, if I'm sort of hearing you right, it's, it's not about some sort of like just chemical imbalance that's just happening in, in our brain. No. It's far more like interconnected. It's, it's all of ourselves. It mm. has to do not just with even what's going on in here, but actually what's happening in our lives around us, mm. what our relationships look like, what our re relationship is to our work, to our communities. All these kinds of things can have an impact of how we're feeling day to day. Is that? Totally. And the latest research that has come out, and like I'm... I'm pro-medication, okay? I just want to put that out there as well. It definitely has its place. Um, the yeah, latest research shows that medication plus psychotherapy or talking therapy has the most effective outcome. So I'm not, you know, like it's just a part of a puzzle of how we approach what's best for working with people. But also um, depression is, it's not definitely not just brain chemistry. Um, the top three underlying causes for depression is now grief, uh, suppression of emotions. So especially anxiety, I find, is like the surface level. It's like this little thing that's actually like the lid on what can feel like a volcano of emotions inside that we are trying to just keep under, under the lid, you know, like just to keep in, under control. So there's that, and there's also post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you've been holding on to something really traumatic that happened a long time ago and haven't verbalised it, haven't talked about it, that's another major cause of depression. So like sexual abuse, you know, if that has happened and it hasn't, you haven't vocalised it, you know, you, there's, there's going to be the ripple effects of depression, anxiety, yeah, eating disorders, yeah, all kind of comes from a lot, those sort of experiences. And I think the interesting thing about that is like, that seems very normal. Like, grief is a normal human totally. response. Um, suppression is something that is maybe something we, we socially feel like we have to do sometimes. And certainly, um, certainly there's, like, a shame that sort of comes with something that's happened in the past or, or, or fear that's kind of associated. But those all feel like very normal human things. That, that, that doesn't seem like just, oh, there's some sort of, like, broken fixture in that person's head. It's like, oh, no, those things just seem very normal mm. and so this is something that we should just be really normal about <laughs> right you think so <laughs> uh, I think there is this idea of mental health problems being something that you, where you're, you're broken and something that you need to fix um, however yeah grief is something that can stay with you your whole life and it can be hugely, um, you know, interrupting your life on a day-to-day -day level for a while. And then it might be that you have some time where things feel like they're falling back into place and you're feeling okay again. And then a couple of years later, something might happen and we'll just trigger that grief all over again. So it's just part of being a human being in that if we've lost someone, we will most likely miss them for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And that's okay. But I think there is some expectation that you have your grief period and then you get on with it and you get over it. And I, in my experience, it hasn't been the case, both personally and with people I work with. So it's far more like maybe circular, although maybe not very like sort of cleanly circular, but, mm. but it's not linear. It's not like there's no. just a start point. It's like a roller point. coaster. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a very apt description, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
just sort of shifting a little bit, just to thinking about sort of mental health and particularly within the church mm-hmm. and sort of how Christians approach it. One of the things I find really interesting, if, if I could just like look at like a few scriptures r- really quickly, is, is I think that there are things in the Bible that people who are um, experiencing some sort of struggle with mental health, I think that there are there are stories and people that they can find a real resonance with. I just want to sort of uh, point to um, point to a, a few things. Uh, I think um, in Psalm six we see this really interesting, like almost bipolar experience of David, where he's like he's like very very upset and very dark and very angry at God, and his this poem is like a prayer that outworks, and he kind of lands at the end by sort of saying. But actually, my enemies have got nothing on me because God's heard my prayers and everything's happy and I'm totally fine. You know, he likes, it's like this very like radical swing that we see. Um, I think we, when we look at the story of Job and there's this, there's this immense, uh, immense pain and suffering he goes through, this loss, this grief that he's experiencing. Um, in Psalm 88, which is written by, by a guy called Heman, um, he... He sort of finishes uh, finishes that by saying, "You have attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me, and the only friend I have left is darkness." You know, like there's this mm. there's this experience mm. of of depression. I think someone who's experiencing like depression it. would resonate with that. Mm. Um, uh, in First Samuel one, we see the story of Hannah, and there's this there's this mention of her unconsolable sorrow, like she's crying and crying crying and crying and crying, and I think we can find resonance with that. Then you look at Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, and, and basically everyone's, everyone's challenging his ministry, and, um, and in verses 3 to 5 of chapter 19, uh, Elijah runs away, but all becomes too overwhelming. He, he has to depart, which basically is the experience of anxiety to like, I, I have to get out of here. And then he goes, and in his prayer, he says this, um, uh, God, would you, would you take my life now? I want to be dead, mm-hmm. you know? So there's this, there's this almost suicidal desire we see in the prophet Elijah. And these are, so we're talking about people who are well celebrated within the biblical scriptures. And so when I look at that, I'm going, now I'm not saying that these, that these people did experience mental health. Like it's, it's really hard to put, you know, this is a relatively new understanding even for us. Um, and I don't just want to sort of slap a sticker on, but certainly as as people of faith turning to the scriptures, it seems like we can find resonance that there is a, a compassion and a, and a normalization and a space for us to, to be imperfect. So why do we struggle with that so much as Christians? <laughs> <laughs> so with the people that I work with that come to me because I'm a, a Christian, whatever that label means now as well, um, so much of it is comes under the category of suppression of emotions. And I don't know, I can talk from my experience of being in church, not this church, because it's the true church. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, but it, there seems to be, and I don't even know, it's not like outwardly vocalised from the pulpit, but... Definitely an underlying uh, expectation that once you're a Christian, you have it all sorted. And once you're a Christian, here's the ways that you should behave. Here's how you should feel. 
here's what you should do. I mean, you notice a theme here. It's, there's so many shoulds. And for me as a, um, as a new Christian, I was 16. And I grew up with a father who wasn't at all and a mother who was quite fluid in her Christianity. And so there wasn't any shoulds there. But so for me to come into church, I very soon learned how I should and shouldn't behave. And that wasn't from people outwardly saying to me, it was like, oh, these are the expectations. And and I, I did fall into that and I did learn it and I did become it. And along the way, I started to question, is it okay to be angry? A- am I still supposed to be sad? Supposed to be? Because actually my joy is in the Lord. And I'm, and the, there are so many, I mean, we can all think of so many Christian cliches where it's about um, the expectation as a, as a born-again Christian particularly as, um, you know, we're redeemed, we're, we're saved, we're the chosen ones, you know, we're the ones that are kind of selling Jesus. So we need to seem like choosing Jesus is a good option. You know, it's got to have its benefits. And so I think there's so much pressure to, yeah, have it look like you're, you've, you've got it all together because you've got God and you should just pray about it. And if, you, if it's not working, then you need to pray harder. And well, have you tried fasting? Do you, you should maybe read the Bible a bit more. You know, like there's so many that like are not like, and, and from a, a place of good intention, I think, from a place of, well, we have the answer. He is the answer. And of maybe people wanting to fix something, but we can't fix each other. And I've come to realise that the more authentic I am with myself, I mean, that's definitely the word of the moment is being authentic, but it's the more authentic I am with who I am, the more authentic my relationship is with God. So and for, uh, there seems to be this weird, um, I don't know, like we've kind of been doing the opposite of what actually God, I think, is calling us into. And I don't know what the answer is for that. And I don't know, like I was sort of thinking that, and this is more your area, but it sort of seems like, from all the historical fiction that I read, that um, Catholicism and Protestantism back in the day, in the medieval times, there was no expectation with Christians that their lives would be joyful and happy all the time and that we would have everything sorted like actually their lives were horrible you know like they were struggling to survive day to day and their expectation was just that God was with them that's I mean this is from my like reading um yeah I'll correct you don't worry (laughs) you know and whereas like now with um more Pentecostal vibe of church it's definitely there seems to be more of the um, expectation that, well, yeah, that you need to have it all together, that um, you just pray about it and that we've got the joy of the Holy Spirit and that's all we need to have. Yeah, so you do certainly see some the waves of Pentecostalism that come through sort of starting from like the late 1800s. There is, there is this sense that like once you encounter God... Mm then everything kind of falls together. I, I think for me, it, you can almost see it entering human history a bit, bit earlier, um, is that uh, when, 
when Christianity be- begins to become covered by a, a sort of Greco-Roman worldview, it's like there's a little layer laid over it, like there's a Platonic layer that's laid over it, and, the, and suddenly the worldview shifts a little bit. And so one of the things uh, I was saying to Victoria earlier is that um, in the ancient Jewish worldview, there is no concept of perfect. Um, for the human experience. There's only the concept of good. Um, And so you have the idea of tov or shalom. Um, And so uh, within those concepts, there is an acknowledgement that life is messy, that it's imperfect, but you embrace it as a whole um, and that that it is to be loved and that you'd be present to it. And they're really beautiful concepts. Um, But perfect is the something that comes through from Greek philosophy, Um, this idea of the ideal, that there is something that is to be achieved. And it sort of of comes in and it almost, like a little, like a little, just a, just a tissue paper or something begins to lay itself over, and it's almost like it suffocated the old worldview, um, and, and so it begins to begins to become this dominant thing to the point where I I think that has very much been the case in the church where it's like when you encounter this thing, like there is this implicit assumption that 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 everything is together, um, and so if you are experiencing some kind of struggle with with mental health. Well, maybe that means like you're not walking with God or something, <laughs> or you've you've backslidden or or whatever. Um, when in reality, life's a little bit more complex than mm. that. And I was listening um, to on national radio a while ago, and they had someone speaking called Emiliana Simon Thomas, and she's been studying happiness, researching it, and what she's come. Like the conclusion she's come to is that apart from the fact that happiness isn't something that we should be actually trying to attain, um, that it's this um, appearance of happiness and this need to be, she called it um, like excessively exuberant, <laughs> um, that's actually incredibly harmful because it's the it's this appearance of being like that, and what that does is it completely disconnects us from ourselves, from how we're truly feeling, which then disconnects us from any relationships, both here and spiritually. So that it, it's harmful. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So I'm I'm really aware that you know we're we're kind of just scratching the surface a little bit. I um, mean, so I know we're just kind of rushing through this stuff, but but really, I think what what we can acknowledge is that. Um, authenticity, right, Um, uh, the acknowledgement that things aren't perfect totally together, that actually the experience of these things is is relatively normal and the conversations around it can be relatively normal. And when we look to the scriptures, we see these people who experience these sort of very real struggles. And if we can acknowledge that, if we can sort of say that that's a good thing as sort of a little summary of of this part, um, uh, what then... um, what then are some ways that we can, I, I guess, like practically, practically deal with it in our own lives? If this is something we are we are experiencing, what is it? What do you think it looks like to to, to practice or to move towards wholeness uh, in, in that sense? Uh, so practically, um, talking. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it sort of seems simple, but actually talking and keep talking it's not uh just a one conversation sort of thing definitely professional help um I mean in terms of practically if you or yourself are struggling with anxiety depression suicidal thinking then first point of call can be your GP and from there on they can direct you to different services there's also services um 
definitely online. There's, um, yeah, there's a Gumboot Foundation that Mike King has started up. So that's got free counselling that you can access. Uh, there's also just WhatsApp. Um, oh, sorry, what's up? What's <laughs> um, on WhatsApp. Um, what's, what's up? There's, yeah, Youthline, Lifeline. Uh, there's other things. There's also the crisis team. You know, like if it's at a point where you know that someone is saying to you, I've got suicidal thoughts, this is not your responsibility to hold. And I think, especially as Christians, we also feel like we need to go above and beyond in terms of um, looking after someone. And yes, to a certain extent, if that's what you feel compelled to do, like, yeah, be there. But it's also not your responsibility to make sure that that person stays alive 24-7. So tell them that you're going to call the crisis team because that's the best thing that you can do. Um, and, yeah, and I guess knowing, I just want to add in here, knowing your own boundaries as well. So, yeah, knowing what feels like is too much for you. If you feel like someone else is becoming, um, I don't know, really intrusive into your life and it's feeling overwhelming, then be really honest with them and straight up. Don't just ghost them and like just kind of quietly disappear because that will make the thing make situations worse. But to actually say, look, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with this and I need to take this to someone else and I'm going to tell them that this is what you're going through. And actually that's very safe and containing for that person as well and they'll know that they're being heard and validated. So it's a good thing. I just wanted to add that in yeah. as well. No, that's awesome. And I think you've kind of touched on 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 almost like two different streams there. There's this, there's this sort of, there's this what do I sort of do for myself if these are the things I'm going on and then you've also gone like, well, how do we sort of accommodate it for others? And I just wanted to sort of touch a little bit on both of those because once again, this is not, these ideas are not inconsistent with what we see in the scriptures. This is not, they're not like sort of, our oh, theology says this thing and then, you know, psychology says this thing. It's actually, you know, these things are very, very interconnected. I think um, uh, there's just a couple of things I wanted to point to. In James 5.16, it says this, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And I think um, confession of sins is, is something that we... Uh, uh, we don't talk about often because I think we have this very, um, this very strange idea of like what what sin is, and we tend to think of it as like this list of like uh, here's the here's the things on the naughty list, and don't do this otherwise you're going to get a, a slap on the back of the hand or worse. I don't know, lightning bolts from the sky or something. But actually, like, I, I, th I think, I think uh, confession is, is, is actually being able to talk about the thing that, that, that has become so big, it's, it's kind of bigger than anything else. Like, like sin is basically means like the thing that, that occupies the throne of glory. So like where, where all of yourself is pointed towards. And so when things become too overwhelming, too big in front of you, that, that really becomes the thing to talk about. And I really love um, uh, Brad Jersak, uh, who's a theologian who actually spoke at this church, maybe it was last year or the year before, but he was saying that in the Orthodox church, when they, when they, when they do the practice of confession, they don't start by saying, you know, what are your sins? They say, um, what's troubling you? You know, or, or what troubles are you carrying, or, or what are the burdens with you at the moment? Like that's how they open, um, and it's a, and it's a deeply relational thing. So in the Orthodox Church, you don't just—it's not just this like anonymous box you go to and you sort of speak into this thing, but 
um, you actually know the person, and it's this very intentional relationship over time. So there's this this deep intentionality that's that's sort of practiced around confession, which I think is beautiful. And so that's just the process of um, of of being open, of of sharing the things, of speaking to the things that are going on in your life. Um, and I think we see this as well. We see this in the Apostle Paul, who was arguably the most important, you know, like the most important person in establishing the early church. He was seen as like the guy, right? And in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, uh, so 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he says, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there's this acknowledgement. It's like all the things that are kind of going on, all the things that happen to me and and the weak parts of just like who I am, I, I, I embrace them and I, 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 I sort, of, sort of stand firm in God in those things. Um, so there's an acknowledgement, there is a, 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 a vocalization of the things that make him less than ideal, you know? And so there's this, there's this very real authenticity and vulnerability we see even in the Apostle Paul. And so I think that that becomes um, just an important thing for us to consider. Mm. And yeah, and along those lines, um, what I have come to experience personally, I, again, I say this a lot because it's like I'm not an expert, you know. I've gone through my own journey. I'm working with other people. and um, But what I've come to realise so much of this is all about is there's so much fear around mental health, you know, because it's such an unknown. It is still relatively new. And we are quite afraid of it and don't know how to sit with the unknown and be okay with it and I think half the time in therapy my work as a therapist is being okay and sitting with someone and us both not knowing what's going on but together trying to unravel it and understand it and instead of me being panicky and a bit afraid of like oh god I don't know what's wrong with you it's like okay well this is an opportunity for us to try and understand you and so much of what it seems like the church is moving towards now with contemplative prayer is around this is an opportunity to invite God into you and to, um, and to use this as an opportunity to learn and to grow. And with, I kind of think about without all of that, if we were just happy and perfect, like perfect little lives all the time, that might actually be boring. I don't, I don't know, but there's, where's the growth? Where's the learning? Where's the the maturing and understanding and as human beings connecting because actually my points in my, in my life where I've felt the, the greatest connection have been in going through that those dark places with people and going through the murkiness and really struggling with my own and trying to work it out and understand it but like being okay with the not knowing at this time and to have an understanding that this is okay and this is part of being human. And sometimes it can be incredibly distressing. But, yeah, I, I guess if we still come from an, an understanding or a basis of, like, but this is okay. This is, this is normal and this is an opportunity. Then I think we're kind of trying to shift the, our way of thinking around mental health as being broken, let's fix it, to, okay, cool. What now? I love that thought around opportunity as well. Um, uh, Kirsten Bell uh, spoke a lot about her journey with anxiety. And one of the things she said was that 
she, she said for a long time she was trying to fight it. So when this thing like sort of entered her life, it was this thing she was fighting against. But then she learned, she actually learned that she had to put her arm around it. And she was like, when I made anxiety my friend, I was able to, to work through it. And so there's this thing that actually the exhaustion that comes from cons- like consistently trying to like come up against and fight this thing and feels, you, you, you begin to feel at war with yourself. And so this, I love this idea of like, if you can shift the focus, if you can, pers- you know, and it is hard, like you say, it's not an easy thing, but if you can embrace it as an opportunity, as a, as a way of sort of putting putting your arm around sort of buddy anxiety or, or buddy depression, which sounds paradoxical, but it's like it actually then li- almost like liberates you and gives you the permission to, to press into it and, and kind of explore the depths of it um, just a little bit. Um, just uh, just one other thought around th- thinking about as a community, because there's, it's not just about the individuals, but it's about us as a community and being able to accommodate that. Um, I love in First Thessalonians 5, it says... Um, you know, uh, be at peace amongst yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And I love the idea that that you are present to everyone and you are patient with everyone, um, depending on what their needs are. I love this idea of like creating space as a community. I don't know, it would be great if you could just say a little something to that as well. Do you mean, like, how, how do we do that? Yeah. Or, I think this, <laughs> you know, I think suddenly, like, there there is definitely a removing of the taboo of mental health. And, you know, we're no longer putting people away in mental health institutions and locking the door and throwing away the key. You know, it's... it's it has to be a shift within the church as well, where there's conversations around it, there's awareness around it. But also, um, I think... For me personally as well, I've gone through a process of thinking that I had to, not not that I had to be judgmental, but discerning. So it was sort of like, oh, I need to know what's right and wrong and what we should and shouldn't be doing and what other people should and shouldn't be doing. And so removing that own sense of um, judgment and trying to be non-judgmental listeners to one another, I think... I think that's a conscious process that we need to be aware of and engage in um, all the time. Because as human beings, our natural tendency could be to just fall into judgment and to fall into comparing and what's right and wrong. For some reason, that seems to be a bit of a safe place. But actually to um, embrace what we don't know and to sit in without judgment of one another, it's quite freeing because suddenly it's not our responsibility to know what to do it's it's about it's God it's God's will and so I think the conversation has to happen consciously and regularly Mm. for any sort of shift to happen and for to create that space yeah oh I think that that oh yeah that's really amazing um I guess I just want to acknowledge as we draw to like something of a close um that that once again, like this, these kinds of conversations, they are, they are conversation starters. This is a way of beginning a dialogue rather than providing a comprehensive or exhaustive, like, 
well, if we get all these things right, like we're going we're gonna to nail it, you know? It's like there, there are some really heavy things, you know, the, the, the suicide rate in New Zealand is, is well documented. Um, the the um, statistics around um, the experience of mental health, like one in five, I think, New Zealanders are, are being diagnosed with, with anxiety or depression at the moment. And, and like those, these are, this, is a, this is a big thing that's happening uh, socially. And it's not like the church is completely removed from that. It's like these are things the church is experiencing. Um, and it's a very complex thing. And you have someone like, like Jared, who was such a such a massive advocate for it, and yet and yet his experience of it was was you know very deep and very painful, um, and 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 ultimately fatal. And so it's a, it's a it's is a painful thing to talk about. Um, it is a hard thing to talk about, but it is it is really important. And um, I think I think my challenge and my invitation to us as a community is that is that we we not shy away from it. But we move towards it. We move towards it uh, uh, in unity, um, in authenticity, and and in compassion, um, and openness towards the other. I guess just like um, maybe just as a as a final wrap up is what would be your like guess like and this might be really a big question but like well like 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 what would be your your hope for the church um, in in its approach to this sort of thing in in the coming season. My hope would be that, I guess that the messiness of being humans <laughs> is completely accepted. You know, this is, this is an ideology, I guess. But that, um, yeah, I, I, what comes to mind is when I did my training as a psychotherapist, uh, it, was a, it was a shock to the system. But we had... Um, every Wednesday we had something called Community Corridor, which is where the entire psychotherapy department would come together and sit in a room in a circle and there was no agenda. You just had to, or you didn't have to at all. I didn't talk for ages because I was terrified. But you, anyone could share whatever was in them in the moment. And that could be anger towards one of the tutors. It could be anger towards another student. It could be... Um, incredible grief that someone was feeling about something else. It could be that someone was just like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty empty today, actually. I don't know why, I just am. And there wasn't, necess- there wasn't any request for a response. Sometimes people responded, sometimes they didn't. But I think what I came to appreciate after a long time of being in that process was this idea of being connected with yourself as an individual while maintaining connection with a group. So as a community, instead of it being like, oh, I'm with everyone, you know, I'm fine, and then going home and being like, oh, man, I'm so exhausted, that just took so much out of me, which, to, yeah, this is, this is me to a certain extent as well, a lot of an extent, um, but to try and stay connected to, you know, like for it to be okay for any given Sunday to turn up and be like, oh, I'm just, just feeling kind of sad today. You know, and for other people to be like, oh, do you want to talk about it? No? Okay. You know, that's fine. You know, so this, this idea that however we are in any present moment is okay. And the thing with um, what is sort of now the, like mindfulness is the big thing in, in therapy. And the idea, foundational idea 
behind that is, the, is about being in the present moment, not worrying about the past, not worrying about the future. And I see a lot of that mindfulness coming in with the contemplative prayer movement. Is it about just trying to be, I think what Vic said the other week, about being in dialogue with God, not monologue. And this idea that however we are in the moment, that's just, that's just how it is and that that's okay. And I think that would be such an amazing foundation for a really healthy environment. It's really hard. <laughs> but that's my ideology about it. Mm. It's a beautiful thing to aspire to. Yeah, <laughs> but it's far more about um, the journey, I think, than, than yeah. actually getting to And it, it doesn't end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is an end point, apart from death. Yeah, well, it is working. It is good. <laughs> well, um, thanks. It's okay. It's been it's been really special. Hopefully, hopefully it's kind of um, stirred a few questions for you guys, or hopefully it's um, I don't know prompted some thoughts or whatever. Um, would really encourage you to sort of stay engaged with it. Um, obviously, Victoria's here every Sunday. Um, if you ever do have any questions, do do feel like she's not unapproachable. Um, just a bit shy. Just a bit shy. <laughs> so um, so you know you can you can talk to her. Uh, we we do want to be uh, the kind of church community where it does feel safe to to come. Um, and so please, if you ever need anything, come and talk to myself um, or one of the staff. Um, if you are unsure about which resources to go towards, once again, happy to have a conversation like this. A lot this is what I a lot of what I do in my work outside of church as well um, is that is that I work as like a point person helping people get connected with with the help that they need um, so um, so yeah always there um, there were some resources that that Victoria mentioned uh, um, and you can go on the websites and there's a ton of information we're so fortunate to have access to some of the stuff um, that we do in this country um, and and it's just wonderful knowing that some of there's there's even more support kind of going into that that as well which I think is a, a very important thing um, I would love to uh, just close with a, a karakia and then and then we can uh, eat together um, so why don't you just um, Let's all stand, eh? Because we're all, we're all made you guys sit for a long time. Well done, everyone. Um, but why don't why don't we just uh, just close our eyes and let's let's just have a couple moments of just just really allowing allowing God to meet us in this space. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just come and and rest uh, on each of our hearts? Would you come and grant us grant us your peace and your joy? your grace and your love. Lord, we know that you are near and that you are with us. Lord, we know and acknowledge that these are important conversations for us to have. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to have those conversations well. Now, heart to the other. That we, would, that we would ask good questions and that we would open, open not just our ears, but open our lives to each other. That we would listen well and speak well. And in some instances, just, just be well. Just to, just to sit and just be with each other. And not just within this community, but with those, those we love and those we work with and those we study with and 
those we're journeying with in any other sort of capacity. Help us to be the kinds of people who can get alongside um, in love and in kindness and in compassion. Lord, we also acknowledge uh, the, the pain and the complexity and that there may be very different experiences of that for, for people in this room. And we just acknowledge that. And Lord, we just say once again that you, we declare and we know that you are not indifferent to that. That when we hurt, you hurt. And Lord, we just choose to once, once again make ourselves aware that when we're in the trenches, you're in the trenches with us. When we're in the valleys, you're with us. We're at the lowest of lows. Lord, help us to help us to know and to recognize your closeness. So surround us with your love, Lord. And be with us as we as we head into our week. Help us to to recognize you in each person that we meet and in every conversation that we have. Help us to be aware of your kingdom at play. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.